I hope you've been able to keep your sense of humor. Maybe you've actually been able to develop your sense of humor this past year. I'm sure that also uh, you are hoping to, or maybe you have grown from some of the pain. Remember that hindsight is 2020, but hindsight doesn't just happen. It offers its fruits and its riches only if there is time uh, devoted to stop, to stopping and paying attention to what is going on. So I trust you've invested time reflecting, remembering, reminding, and being reminded of what is most important in life. So happy new year to you all. We welcome the new. You know, God's mercies are new every year, but here's what's great. They're actually new every single day. The word word of God tells us that his mercies are new every single morning. You know, each morning is a little drama of what awaits us on a great and glorious future day. There is coming a final sunrise. It's the eternal merry and bright. It's not just a 24-hour rotation around the planet. It is uh, it's not just for a month-long season of celebration, but it is for all of time. But here we are living in the tension of not yet. Because before daybreak is a long, cold night. Before clarity comes confusion. Before there's welcome, there's wandering. And before rest, there's traveling. The word traveling literally comes from travailing. To travail is to engage in painful, laborious effort. Like a woman in childbirth. Now, how do I know these things? How can I say with such clarity and such certainty that this is the way that life is? It's because God has told me directly, clearly, and repeatedly. Now, some of you are judging me right now. Some of you immediately are judging me, saying, who does this guy think he is, saying that he hears from God directly and clearly and repeatedly? Dave's not special. Something about this seems really off. Dave says he's hearing from God. That's some of you. Now, others of you might immediately be wowed by this. Wow, I'm so glad Dave's our pastor. He hears directly and clearly and repeatedly from God. I knew that that gray, wavy hair meant that he had a special connection with God somehow. Ooh, isn't this amazing? A lot of times people go in these two directions. They are overly cynical or they are overly trusting. When I say that I hear from God directly, clearly, and repeatedly, I'm speaking forth the absolute truth. But I'll make it really clear. It's not just that I hear from God clearly, directly, and repeatedly. In fact, God is more accessible to you probably than you even imagine. He's given all of us equal access to his riches through the cross. And he's given us equal access to his storehouses of truth through the books that he wrote. Did you know that God wrote two books? There's one chapter in the Bible that sings the praises of God's two bestsellers. 
It's Psalm 19. I want you to turn to it right now. I know I told you to turn to 2 Peter 1. Leave your finger there or your tab open there and go to Psalm 19 for a moment. Stanza 1 of Psalm 19 is all about the book of creation. The book of creation is accessible to everyone who is alive right now. That's the book of creation. How about stanza two? Stanza two is all about the Bible, the written word of God. What I want to do is I'm going to read for you stanza two of this song that's right in the middle of our Bibles. First six verses extol the virtues and praises of the book of creation, the general revelation of God. And then it shifts halfway through and stanza two of this song is all about the special revelation of God, the written word of God. Follow along with me. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter are they than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep, me, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Oh, return to Psalm 19 often. It's such a great chapter of the Bible. This song awakens the soul of believers, doesn't it? We say yes and amen to what is being sung here. This is what we want for our life. The perfect, sure, right, pure, true word of God. Protecting and directing and instructing and satisfying us. We want to pursue it. We do desire it, as this song says. Today, on this first Sunday of 2021, we're starting off the year with a call for all believers to be students of the Bible. Wherever you left off in 2020, let it continue into the new year. In fact, grow in it this new year. All right, back to 2 Peter 1, and I want to show you something really powerful from our text this morning. This is an incredible cooperation being shown to us between God and people. And what I want you to do is I want you to listen very carefully as I read our text for these two things. Listen to what God does and what people do. If we can go full screen on this. Listen for what God does and for what people do. Okay, so pay attention to that. And then secondly, I want you to listen how God's written word enables both the divine and the human effort. All right, so let me read 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power 
has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Pause. Do you hear it? God is doing the heavy lifting here. He's granting us. He's calling us. He's granting us again. All we're doing at this point is receiving. We are trusting him to do his work, but we live in, in, in grateful and expectant anticipation. Now let's go on. Verse 5. For this very reason, okay, here's this partnership. Listen to what we do now. Make every effort, servant of God, to supplement your faith with virtue. Pause. How do I know what's virtuous and what's vice? The Bible. And virtue with knowledge. So we're supplementing faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge. Well, where do I look for knowledge that I can trust and know is accurate and pure and clean and unchanging? The Bible. And add knowledge with self-control. Well, how do I know what parts of myself I'm to control? The Bible. And self-control with steadfastness. Well, where do I get a picture of steadfastness? What does that look like? Are there any examples that I can turn to? The Bible. And steadfastness with godliness. How do I know what godliness looks like? Jesus was godly. You know what? Jesus is in the Bible. You're, you're, you're tracking with me now. I love it. And godliness with brotherly affection. How do I know what that is supposed to look like? How are we to treat one another in the house of God? All of our one another verses are from the B-I-B-L-E. You got it. The Bible. And brotherly, brotherly affection with love. Where do we get our definition of love? The Bible. So going back through this, we see that God is faithfully doing his part, and we are to make every effort to do these different things. All of them keep coming back to the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours, do you hear if? It doesn't, it's not just a given that this just happens to you magically at the rebirth. If these qualities are yours and are increasing. Do you hear how we're to grow up? They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten what he was cleansed from uh, his former sins, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Man, this is such a hopeful passage. Okay, so God's faithfully doing his part. He wrote the book of creation, which preaches to us every day, all day. Then the sun goes down, and every night, all night, there's proclamation of God at us, if we're paying attention, without fail. Remember, even the sunrise preaches to us. And he wrote the books 
of the Bible so that we would have these great and precious promises of God written down so we could go back to them. We say this all the time. If something is important enough, we put it in writing. We put contracts in writing. We put laws in writing. We leave notes for our kids. Make sure this happens. We write love letters to one another because we want to put it down in writing. If it's important to, uh, to, enough to us, we put it in writing. Same with God. And God puts it in writing so we can know how to grow up, so we can know how to keep from being ineffective and unfruitful. It's possible to be ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of God. So now it's our turn. Here's the play. God's granted. God's called. God's granted. God writes stuff down. God writes books for us to follow and read. Here's our turn. Verse 5. We make every effort. Do you see why I call it being a student of the Bible? Like anything else great that you want to learn or become or grow into, it requires effort. We are to make every effort. Verse 8, we are to take inventory of these qualities that are here and make sure that they are increasing. That means we're paying attention to this. We're investigating this. We're looking at this. We're figuring out how do I take stock in my life if I am growing in godliness? If I am growing in virtue, if I'm growing in my knowledge, if I'm growing in my brotherly affection, if I'm growing up in love. How about verse 10? We are all the more to be diligent and putting into practice what we are reading, what we are memorizing, what we are learning. So this passage is this incredible thing of saying, God's given us everything we need. You have, hear me, you have all that you need to walk in godliness today. I want to just gift that hope to you. It's from the scriptures. You have everything you need to walk in godliness today. Man, that's so encouraging. But it doesn't just happen by osmosis. There's an effort, there's a, there's a cooperation, there's an invitation to walk along with God and to make every effort and to be diligent and to put these things into practice. So God not only goes before by granting us, calling us, leading the way, he also comes behind and takes up the rear. We're like in the middle of a God sandwich. He's doing, he's doing really all of it. But listen to where this verse goes. It concludes in verse 11. It says, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you, this is God's part, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, this is so good. God grants, God calls, and at the very end, God richly provides your absolute assured entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we discuss the Bible in this series, I want everyone to take a deep breath. I know what happens sometimes when we talk about Bible reading plans and reading the Bible and you should and all these things. We can, we can all of a sudden be, be, you know, thinking, oh, pack our bags. We're going on a guilt trip, right? We're not on a guilt trip. That's not what this is about. This is a grace trip. It's all grace all the time. So it's not a guilt trip and it's not comparison. Oh, there's such a trap in the church 
to, to kind of look around and, and, and think, well, I'm not as smart as that person or in community group. I'd never know where the verses are or any of that. And it can kind of diminish us. Or it goes the other way. I know so much more than these people. I mean, I know chapter and reference on everything. I'm just way above. Don't compare. Don't compare and don't be loaded with guilt. This is not a guilt time. This is not a comparison time. This is an inspiration time. Okay, hear me. This is like joyfully saying, church, let's joyfully move forward in becoming students of the Bible afresh in 2021. You know, last week, Chuck mentioned this idea. It stayed with me. I was in Target randomly, uh, and, and I, was, I was in Target uh, looking for Andres' family because I tend to bump into them at Target, and, and I was thinking in my mind about, about this idea of disruptive technologies and just how incredibly disruptive 2020 was. It, that, that idea stayed with me. And what 2020 did to my Bible reading I hope that 2020 was disruptive to your Bible reading. You know, truths were absolutely jumping off the page to me in 2020, starting right around uh, kind of early March. And as I read the same Bible, I read it in a new way. I read it in new light. You know, when circumstances change, we go back and read the clue again. The Amazing Race taught me this. So back when we used to get together in each other's homes, remember that time? Um, we, on Sunday nights, we have this tradition of watching The Amazing Race with some of our, our friends. We call them The Amazing Friends. We have a little text group called Amazing Friends. Shout out to Amazing Friends. Hi, guys. Um, but we would come and just watch this reality show, The, the Amazing Race. Um, we keep trying to get Rob and Julie Collins on. We think they'd make an amazing couple for, uh, for reality TV. They're in our community group. It's part of what keeps me tuning into community group each week. Um, but The Amazing Race teaches us to go back and read the clue. Here's how the show works. There are often these roadblocks and these choices that you have to do, these little games that are happening on this traveling global race that's happening. And the clue is given, and we as the viewers often will get like what they're missing from the clue. They will read the clue all the time in front of the screen. And as viewers, we know, okay, there's important stuff in that clue. And they go off and try to find it. A lot of times, they immediately know what the clue means. They go and do the task, no problem. Other times, they're super confounded and confused. And all they have to do is go back to a little three-by-five card, read about ten words, and it would click for them. But over and over and over again, 20-some seasons into The Amazing Race, you know what they forget to do? Read the clue! And so sometimes hours will go by. Every team will go through. They're stuck at this challenge, and it will dawn on them. Wait a minute. Let's read the clue. Oh, we're supposed to do this. When the circumstances change, when things aren't just panning out, you go back and read the clue. The Amazing Race taught us this. 2020 changed our lives. In fact, it changed the lives of the whole human race. I mean, what event has done that in our lifetime? It's hard to imagine uh, whose circumstances weren't radically altered. It's time to go back and read the clue again. If TV producers know how to put what is needed in a clue, how much more God? Let me show you from Scripture that long before the amazing race taught us this, Jesus affirms what I'm saying. Okay, 
We are going to finish up Luke. Some of you are like, please don't leave it as a cliffhanger. Jesus is, 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 is in the grave right now in our passage in Luke. We're going we're, we're to get to the resurrection. Okay, We're not going to raise Jesus from the dead. That sounds really sacrilegious, uh, which shouldn't be said in church. We are going to read about and study and, and, and get to that part of Luke. Okay, We will get there in a couple weeks, I promise. But here's a little preview from our finishing up of the Luke series. Remember, there's two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus kind of sidles up next to them and strikes up a conversation. He draws them in and he draws out their interpretation of world events that have absolutely shaken them to the core. Then he points them to something they already possess. Jesus points them back to the scriptures. World events have absolutely rocked their world. He kind of doesn't come with just the answer. He comes and draws them into conversation. Oh, really? What, what, thing, what things are you talking about? And they're like, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happening? And then he points them back to the clue. Circumstances have changed. He, he says, go back, go back and read what's there. He begins to show them a whole new way of reading the Bible, that it's all about himself. It's all about Jesus. It all points to these things that are taking place right now. So hear me, Christian. New circumstances cause believers to go back and search their Bible in light of the new light, right? In light of the new circumstances, in light of what's now going on. Consider Mary. You don't think Mary, after an angel appears to her with the message the angel gives, you don't think she goes back to the prophets and reads it again in light of the new circumstances that just happened in her life? I promise you that Micah 5.2 popped off the page to her in a brand new way. How about Paul? Paul is so strong-willed and determined, and then literally he's blinded by the light. Jesus says to him, why are you after me? Why are you persecuting me? And he basically tells him, knock it off, take off the uniform of the enemy, suit up with me, get on the winning team. I've got work for you to do. You're going to be blind, you're going to be led into Jerusalem. You wait there. Uh, I've got work for you to do, Paul. Now, you don't think Paul, after this new circumstance happens, that he had everything wrong, he's persecuting the very one that the scriptures are all about. You don't think he goes back to the scriptures? And says, maybe my profs had it wrong. I mean, he was studied. He was well-versed. He studied with Gamaliel, right? He's, a, he's this honored professor. He was in the university. He was excelling. He had it all wrong. New circumstances caused the believer to go back and read the Bible with this new light. So church, go backward to go forward. Jesus points us back to what's already in our hands, the Bible. All right, watch this short video. You know, being a lifetime San Jose resident, Mount Umminum was always a fixed point of reference. You could always tell where you were in relation to Mount Umminum. And being up here, you see a totally different perspective on where you live, on your life, on where things are. The scriptures are our perspective helper. We find things. Now, to get beyond Mount Umminum, 
uh, you you would not be able to get there on your own. You are forced at that point to have something well beyond you to be able to understand what's going on. God's word is a revelation like that. It's a fixed point. It gives us perspective on things we would never see uh, going through our life day at a time. As we begin 2021, I hope to inspire you to have a renewed or for the first time sense of reliability of the scriptures. And beyond that, I hope to show you some tools or maybe remind you of some tools of how to really dig in, understand it, and live it for yourself. Okay, so we are taking just a couple of weeks uh, with a little mini-series called Everyday Bible. I don't know what you do every single day without fail, but I'm here to tell you that reading and living your Bible every single day is gold. It will not run out of wisdom. I promise you. But you've got a price to pay for it. You must give yourself to it. You must give yourself to reading it. You must give yourself to understanding it. You must give yourself to living it. You know, his mercies are new every day. It behooves us to open up the book of books and look for them. Understand them. Watch for them. No two days are really alike. We have all these routines, maybe, that we do every single day. But each new day has its own troubles. Each new day has its own mercies and joys. The very practice of reading the Bible, Billy Graham said, the very practice of reading the Bible will have a purifying effect upon your mind and heart. Let nothing take the place of this daily exercise. So everyday Bible. But everyday doesn't just mean daily. It can also mean commonplace, ordinary, uninteresting. Everyday Bible has a little double ring to it. The double ring is, this is where the battle begins. This is where the battle will be. You will be amped up to read your Bible for a season. Some of you, it will be this week, and you'll fall off the wagon next week. Some of you might go a whole month. But there will come times where you will have a a fierce battle raging because it feels so everyday, so common, so ordinary. You know, the best things can become boring things simply because they aren't new things. Uh, th- there's, there's a host of people, host of marriages that, are just, that just litter life, that just say, man, I was, I was bored with my spouse, and I made an awful trade because it wasn't the new thing. There are people who've wandered away from God's truth because it was so very ordinary. It's just the Bible. It's been here for forever. It'll be there tomorrow. I want something new. I want something that everyone's talking about. I want to get to that conference and read that book and click on the site and, and, and be in the know of what's new. Everyday Bible is a reminder to apply yourself to what it has for you. It's going to be a joy and it's going to be a struggle. It's going to have incredible highs, some incredible lows, and some just flat I-5 Bakersfield boring parts to the journey, right? That you're just like, I guess I'm just going to read again today because this is what I do as a Christian. 
You know, if you apply yourself to the Bible, you will discover that of all the riches that it has for you, the greatest is that you get God. James Merritt said the primary purpose of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible, but to know God. We don't worship a book. We worship the author of the book. He reveals himself in the pages of Scripture. He explains his character. He explains his values and his plans. You'll see what disgusts and angers him. You'll learn what delights and moves him. You'll discover that God is authoring a story. And catch this, you are written into it. Genesis 1.1, how does it start? The book of the Bible starts in the beginning. Go all the way to the back. To Revelation 22, chapter 5, it says, They, the servants of God, reigned forever and ever. The Bible is a story. That's a massive filter when you pull back and look at all 66 books and go, What's happening with all of this? I love the guys from the Bible Project. Ben and I were at a pastor's conference at Hume like a couple years ago, and these guys showed up, and I love their videos. They put out really great stuff. I, I recommend all their stuff to you. Here's a short little video that they did um, just on, on what the Bible is. Watch this. For those of us who follow Jesus, we have a book. It isn't a theology book. It isn't a rule book. This book is a story, the story of God and humanity. A story Jesus said he was fulfilling. This book contains poems, riddles, letters, puzzling narratives, and new ideas. Yet, throughout it all, this book is full of the breath of God. For those of us who follow Jesus, this book is a treasure. This book is a tree of life. This book is a page turner. Turn the page with us. Okay, as a preacher, I have only one definitive access point to the realities that matter infinitely. Jesus, grace, righteousness, eternal life, to name a few. And that access point is the inspired word of God in Scripture. This is the access you have as well. The preacher does not take the place of Scripture. The preacher helps the people see the reality of Scripture, that the, the reality that the Scriptures aim to communicate. Remember our passage in 2 Peter 1.3? God's given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Now, one of the things he offers to the church are teachers and preachers and exhorters and, and, and watchmen and all these different gifts of the church that supplement what God is growing in you, the knowledge that he's giving to you. You know, people ask this question all the time, and it's really valid. How important is the Bible really? If it is the work of man and not God, or, or is it a combo of one of those two things? If this is in question, I, I shouldn't feel guilty about not reading the Bible, right? I mean, how important really is this in someone's life? These are great questions, and these are ones I highly support you asking and digging into. You know, thoughtful questions demand thoughtful answers, and that's why sometimes in a sermon setting, I just invite you, sit down and really think, try to track with the preacher, where are we going with this? I want to hear a thoughtful answer to this. 
In the weeks ahead, we're going to dive into some more of the nitty-gritty of this. I mean, there are tons of options out there. Why should one sacred text, why should one source rise above the rest? It's a really good, fair question. Is the Bible reliable? Man, that's on the front of our brains at some point in our life, in our spiritual development. Sometimes a crisis comes along, and it throws it into whack, and we have to revisit. Is this still the reliable message of God? Is it infallible? So if it is reliable, leads to a second set of questions. How do I read it? I always get bogged down. I start in Genesis, and, and by Exodus or Leviticus, I'm just, I'm done. I'm toast. How do I read it? How am I to understand all that's in this library of books? How am I to apply it? As a Christian, you should radically alter your life to ensure that you are reading the Bible daily, understanding it correctly, and living accordingly. Remember when I said that as we talk about the Bible, I want you to take a deep breath and not heap guilt on yourself and not heap comparison I want you to take another deep breath. I just told you you should do something. People get panicky. How, who's he to tell me what I should and shouldn't do? When I say you should, don't only hear duty. Hear delight. Is there duty for a Christian to read the Bible? Absolutely. Is, is a servant to be hearing and understanding and listening carefully and paying attention to the master? Of course, in every setting. Parents, you get that with your kids. Hey, Listen to me. Don't walk away. I'm talking. So is there duty? Absolutely. But there's also delight. There's some other shoulds you do. You should keep breathing. You should keep loving your spouse if you are married. You should drive safely. There's a duty and a delight to each one of those scenarios. I want you to consider rereading this week the second stanza of Psalm 19. I say return to it often because sometimes rereading passages in the Bible that speak to the praises of the Bible remind me, yes, that's what my heart wants. I want that. It really is to be more desired than gold. It really is sweeter than the, the best food I could imagine. As a bonus, turn to Psalm 119 once in a while. What's Psalm 119? But 176 verses that all talk about God's word, its brilliance and its delight and its wisdom. And it's all about a heart that's longing to keep in step with it, longing to learn from it, longing to be kept uh, by it, and longing to be fed from it. Some of you are readers out there. I'm a reader. And you have your favorite authors, right? And if you read a really good book, there's a couple things that happen. One is you commend it to other people. Oh, man, you've got to read this book. It's so good, and here's why. But secondly, when I get a good author, I'm like, man, what else has this author written? I want to get all of her works. She's so good in this book. I need to get that one and that one. And I need to research and find out. Hear me. If God is the author of a book, wouldn't you want all his books? Like, wouldn't you want to have all of them in your collection and return to them frequently? Get your hands on every book that they have written. As we begin uh, looking at everyday Bible, we're, we're going to talk about the reliability of the Bible for a bit. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll look sort of at the, the, the readability. So there's a real practical component to it. 
It is foundationally important because if you don't have a reliable Bible bringing you a reliable message from God, offering a portrait that's reliable about Jesus, then you do not have Christianity. The reliability of the scriptures, if that goes away, if that blows away, you don't have Christianity. There are plenty of people who try to have one without the other. They want their Christianity, but, but, but they don't want the, the authentic reliability of Scripture. Let me speak to the skeptic for a moment. Some skeptics spend a lot of time in church and they're here all the time. Some of you might be tuning in uh, just to see like, what do these Christians have to say and how flimsy are their arguments. Let me talk to the skeptic for one moment. To the skeptic, one of the great questions of our age is this. Why do so many people continue to regard the Bible in such high esteem. You know, word in our universities is that the Bible has long since been debunked by science. That it's just been proven over and over and over again to not be reliable. It is said to be full of contradictions. It is maligned and attacked and scrutinized more than any other book I can possibly Imagine. Yet, despite all of this, people from all over the world, from every type and caste in society, continue to read, study, memorize, and obey the Bible. They find a deep connection with God through the Bible. Why is that? The Bible is the single most influential book in the world, even though it is the single most attacked book in the world. It is the best-selling book in history by far, and it has been translated into language such that 90% of the world's population can read it in their own language. What's more, right now, there are people devoting their life so that the Bible can be translated into the thousands of languages still that remain. I think last I read was like 3,000 languages still. So that these small clumps of people in their own language can read the Bible. So, and by the way, Stephen Ida Irwin, I put a quick text out to him to see if he'd give us a video. He's going to give us a video hopefully before this series is over. They're Bible translators. This is what they do. They are serving those in northern Mexico uh, because they're so passionate about Bible translation. So if you're a skeptic, don't take the word of others. Investigate the evidence. Doesn't it behoove you to say, man, let me just see what's up with the Bible. Not just hear the one-liners from my professors or from other people. Be open to following where the facts take you. Now, for the Christian, let me read something out of John Eldridge's book, Killing Lions. It's a thought that, as I read this, I thought, man, I've never really thought of it this way. I love it. He says, now here's the funny thing about all the fuss over the Bible, uh, uh, about all the fuss over the Bible reliability of manuscript, uh, man, manuscripts, the apparent internal contradictions, the tension of translation, and so on. All of that hand-wringing on both sides begins with an extraordinary assumption that the God who created sunlight, the eye, blue whales, mathematics, and the, the 170 billion galaxies cannot take care of his message to us. He somehow lost control of the letter he wrote, and he can't get it back. 
He goes on to say, really now think of it. If you begin with the assumption that God does not exist, then you cannot believe in a word from God. Makes sense. But if you accept God exists and is capable of sustaining the staggering beauty and complexity of the heavens and the intricate pulsating diversity of life on this planet, then you have to ask if that kind of God could sustain his intention to communicate through the Bible. Man, do you see how Psalm 19 is paired together here? When you see the logic of just a thinking rational brain in your eyes and you see creation and then you see this this extolling virtues of the written word, this point comes out. Let's not assume that God has lost control of his message and can't work through preserving it for us. God has kept his message safe and secure, and God is speaking to us clearly, directly, repeatedly. Everyday Bible. It's generally through creation all the time, and then specifically and specially through the written words of the Bible. So the Bible is reliable. Let me, just, let me just give you a little teaser for where we're going next week. There's all kinds of amazing resources, by the way. Apologists are those who give their lives to the study of defending the, the, the faith and, and just giving themselves to, to that. And we're, we're going to look at some more of these coming up. Some are kind of intellectual and scholarly. One of the more accessible intellectual scholarly ones are Josh McDowell and his son, Dr. Sean McDowell. And, and Josh McDowell was, was brought to faith on a college campus, and he devoted his life, Evidence That Demands a Verdict was a big book when I was in college, and he just goes through point by point by point. It's a really thick book with subpoints and all kinds of things. Uh, it's pretty scholarly. It's a pretty great read. Some, of, some apologists are able to break things down into everyday terms. We've had Frank Turek right here in this building preaching, and, and he, has, he just has an incredible job of, um, of fielding questions and handling them well, them well. Ray Comfort is another one who I just, I'm amazed at him as a, a guy on the streets just interviewing people, talking to people, and he just brings up these things. You're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Some approach it like a detective would. I, I would commend to you Jay Warner Wallace. You can find a lot of his stuff on Right Now Media, which, which we subscribe to as a church, but also it's all over YouTube. And he's a cold case detective. So he kind of comes to the scriptures with that same mindset. And he said, when I was coming to faith, when I was beginning to investigate this, he said, here are my top three reasons that the Bible is reliable. If you want to take notes, you can jot this down. Uh, you can also probably just, just uh, YouTube search J. Warner Wallace, top reasons the Bible is, is, is reliable. But he talks about three things. Number one is, are the Gospels written early enough to have actually been written by eyewitnesses like they claim? As a cold case detective, he said, I go to a crime scene, and sometimes people say that they were there, but they have an ulterior motive. If they weren't there, their testimony is invalid if they say they're an eyewitness. They are discredited the moment they open their mouth and lie about that. What's the answer to that? Yes. What best explains the evidence that we see in the Gospels is this early dating. There are critics who always want to try and come and put it hundreds of years later. But for instance... The destruction of the temple is not mentioned in any of the Gospels. Neither is the death of Peter and Paul or James, not only the brother of Jesus, but one who was an early church pastor, a very foundational person. Why are they not mentioned? Because they hadn't happened yet. It's an early dating system. Um, they're, they're not mentioned because none of these had taken place. So early dating evidence is there. That's just a snippet. There's all kinds more. Here's the second one. Can the Bible be corroborated? 
In other words, are there anything, is there anything outside the Bible that, that shows the parameters of the Bible to be true? And the evidence here is yes. In fact, there are plenty of writings from non-Christian historians. In fact, there are those who are enemies of Christianity that write in their histories things that absolutely verify the claims in Scripture. Add to that one more whole field of study, archaeology, right? And what happens is as time goes on, more and more things are continuing to piece together all these timelines, locations, places, and things that are outside. They're called extra-biblical witness to confirm what the Bible's been saying all along. Uh, Finally, number three is this. How can we know it hasn't changed over time? We're going to get into this a little bit, but um, my kids love to play, my younger kids love to play the game telephone, right? Where you say one thing and then you whisper it to another person and you see how funny the message is by the time it gets over here. There's There's a myth going around. Hear me. That the Bible we hold in our hand is like the game of telephone. That it was translated and then translated and then translated and translated. That is not how the transmission of the message came about. And again, we'll, we'll look into that. But how can I know that it hasn't changed over time? Here's one short answer. Look at the Jesus described by the apostles and the ones in Scripture and the ones that they taught. So in other words, the disciples of the, of the original disciples and the disciples of those disciples and the disciples of those disciples. And here's what we see. We see that in the early church writings, and we, we have this for hundreds of years, uh, we start in Acts, but then we move on, that we see the same Jesus, meaning the same Jesus that's proclaimed and written about by these early eyewitnesses. We have seen and heard and testified that this is true, is the same one we're reading about today. All right, so there's his top three. Uh, Lots more to get into. Let me wrap up with this. Not only is the Bible reliable, but I rely on the Bible as a human being, but also as a preacher, as a pastor. And I rely on the Bible for three simple reasons, or at least these are three reasons I want to give you. Number one is because I want you to learn. I'm not here to entertain. I'm not here to think for you. I'm not here to fill time and space. I am here to teach. My desire is that you would learn. Dave Ramsey, in his uh, financial peace teaching, he, he bemoans the fact that many have their money investment products um, in, in things that they don't understand because some expert told them, this is where you should put your money. And he advises people to go with that small percentage of investment people who have the heart of a teacher. He said, if you don't understand the product, if you can't explain it to someone else, don't put your money in it. That's dumb. Lots of people get burned that way. So then that, the, the question is asked, well, how do I know if this person has the heart of a teacher? He has a really simple southern down-home answer to it. He says, ask if you're learning something from them. If you're learning something from them, then the person has the heart of a teacher. If not, they probably have the heart of a salesman, right? They have the heart of an entertainer. They have the heart of something else. I want you to hear this really, really clearly. I am preaching the word. Simply put, I want to teach you. I want you to learn. If you are not learning, if you are not growing, let's figure this out. Let's talk. Let's get together. Let's figure out where the disconnect is. If you are learning and growing, stick with us. This is a church that teaches the Bible. You're learning. You're growing. Keep at it. I was visiting a member recently, uh, and we were discussing preaching and the Bible and growth, and she made the understatement of the year. She said, Dave, you speak really fast. She said, a lot of times I have to go back and, and kind of re-listen to what you said because uh, a part you know, piqued my curiosity, but you're already on to something else. 
Even knowing I'm saying this, I still am talking fast, right? Um, This is true. And I want to let you in on a little growth thing that I want to pursue this year. And you, church, can help hold me accountable to this, okay? Here it is. I want to grow in showing you not just the text and not just the principles and truths that come from the text, uh, but also to explicitly walk you through how they connect. I want to show you how I get the principles so that it's not just, well, Dave can read that scripture and Dave can figure out those principles. I want to explicitly show you how these two connect. And here's why. Because I want you to be dependent on the scriptures, not on your pastor. Your pastors are here to supplement your faith, to supplement your knowledge. We are not the main course. The scripture is the main course. We're the little vitamin pill that kind of helps nudge you along each week. I will try to pace my sermons so that I will leave ample room for you to see where I am getting what I'm teaching. Now, just like any classroom, just like any family, I will go too slow for some of you and too quick for others of you. I hope to not leave uh, anyone out for long, but I want to work on this. And, and just like you would have in a college lecture, if there are follow-up questions, if there's an after-lecture session that you say, hey, teach, can I come and you know, talk with you on that? I didn't see where you were doing that stuff. I, I didn't know what you were talking about. There's a couple of you that do this really well. I really encourage our community group leaders, if you don't understand the question, if you don't understand the points, come talk to me. They're very engaged with this. I love follow-up questions, and what I will do is I will show you what I was trying to get at, and we together will make sure it aligns with Scripture. All right, number two is I rely on the Bible because I want to awaken and strengthen faith in Christ in you. By teaching you the Scriptures, I am giving you the best opportunity to put your trust in God. The Bible is uniquely equipped to accomplish this idea of awakening faith. And then of strengthening your faith in the hearts and minds of people. John Piper says this, The words of God are the best means of displaying the glory of God. I was asked recently from a friend, he said, Where do you get all your ideas from your sermons? How do you come up with them? And here's the short answer. I preach the Bible. My ideas come from the Bible. The most lasting and impactful ideas, practices, and words I could possibly pass on are the ones from God himself. I want you to know, believe it or not, I work really hard at putting together a sermon in a way that's not only truthful, but helpful. Now that said, that's the human side of the equation. The divine side of the equation is this prayer. God bless this spiritual sermon, this spiritual meal that I've prepared, because without your work in this, everything I'm doing right now will just blow away like dandelions. It'll be here today and gone tomorrow. It won't really matter. So there's a human component and a divine component. Lastly, I rely on the Bible because I personally have tasted and seen that God is good and his best seller is life to me. We're going through Psalm 34 as a family where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we stopped and just had a conversation with our kids. What do you think it means to taste and to see that God is good? What we came up with is the idea that we are to experience God personally. 
for ourselves. Well, I can believe that a stove is hot. I can have all my belief in the world and that I can study about stoves and all that. The moment I touch the stove, my experience confirms what, what was only belief before. When you personally experience God, when you taste and see for yourself, not your parents' faith, but yourself, your world changes. The Bible is reliable. I began to see this for myself every day since the age of 17. At 17, I began to read the Bible. I just said, I, I knew I should probably read the Bible. I didn't read the Bible. I began to read every day. I began to test its reliability without knowing. I didn't go in with a heart to test it, but I just watched time and time and time again the wisdom and power of God explain the world to me, explain my inner world to me. And I have since built my marriage on the Word of God. I've since built my family, my career on the foundation of the Bible. I live and I lead and I love under the Bible's direction, instruction, and protection. Any error I ever thought I found in the Bible ended up being mine in the end. It keeps coming through. Why have I never tired in in reading the Bible and giving myself to it? Charles Spurgeon says this, nobody ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. Let me pray. God, thank you for the book of creation. God, I pray that this year we would, we would be intentional about just um, seeing your character, seeing your nature, seeing our place in the world by reading the book of creation that pours forth speech day after day. Every night a sermon is given. God, help us to give ourselves to the book of creation. And God, I pray that with loads of grace, loads of energy, loads of hopeful joy, we would give ourselves to the, to the book of Scripture. God, that we would take you as our favorite author and gather up every one of your, your 66 books and give ourselves to figuring out why did you leave this for us? God, you left Micah 5-2 for Mary, but also for the rest of us to have belief that, wow, the Bible prophesies the future and it comes through in specific kinds of ways. God, in giving ourselves to the Bible, we get you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.